And I had to be bigger about my passion and really, really, really show that I was crazy about this idea and nothing was going to stop me. And I think once I also like was able to internalize that and, and make that authentic for me, conversations started going a lot better. Kay is the founder and CEO of Parachute, a modern bed and bath premium essentials company. She was inspired by her close friends to start a company while working her corporate marketing job. 10 years later, Parachute is the leader in premium modern home essentials. Tune in to hear Ariel's advice on everything from hiring to raising capital and building a premium household brand. Coming up, how Ariel used her passion for interior design to begin Parachute. Ariel shares her fundraising journey and lessons learned, the qualities she looks for in her employees, and finally, how to get meaningful press when just starting. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Ariel, I'm so excited to sit down with you and hear all about your entrepreneurista journey. Did you always know that you wanted to have your own business one day? You know, I really didn't. I had a bit of an unconventional path. I was a very curious, curious gal and found myself in college and after college and through internships, just like wanting to try a bunch of new things. And I would say the through line there was I was always looking for ways to make a bigger impact. Like I didn't want to just be a person doing the same thing every day. I wanted to really get creative. I wanted to use both sides of my brain. And so I ended up going to school in a program that was an individualized study program in at NYU. And so I got to make up my major, which allowed me to try a lot of different things. So it was very <laughs> in line with the way that I had been kind of living and, and learning and growing. And then I had a ton of different internships in many different fields. And I still really didn't know what I wanted to do and ended up going back to school to get a master's and ended up in advertising. But I don't think I would have been pegged as the person to to launch my own business. And when I went out to start Parachute initially, I thought I would just join an early stage company because that's really what I was looking for. So, Tell me how your advertising career led you to figure out that you actually wanted to start your own business versus working for someone else. So I, I had dabbled in many different areas and industries. And advertising really was like, it brought me alive in a way. It was the first time that I ever really felt connected to my work. I was working on big concepts for big brands and I felt very connected to the left and right side of my brain. I was doing a lot of qualitative research and quantitative research. But before that in grad school, I had a lot of extra time. I mean, I was going to classes and doing my work, but I ended up starting a blog that was all about home and design. So I had this passion for home and design and decorating. And I had been kind of helping friends decorate their apartments in New York and spending a lot of time shopping, like really becoming a super consumer. And so there was just this like continued interest in home and design and, and these products and an awareness of what was missing in the market. And when I got to a place in my 
advertising career about four years in, I I realized I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. Originally thought that would be joining early stage company. I had a ton of friends that were joining startups around that time. It was 2012, like very early days of New York and had friends working at all these cool companies and they were so passionate about what they were doing and so inspired and canceling plans and, you know, just like throwing themselves into work in a way that I was like, wait a second, I think I need that. And so had my aha moment about home and design and these blogs and, or the blog that I was working on and the shopping and the designing and helping friends. And it's like, what if I could merge my interest in building brands and connecting with customers and, you know, having these deep relationships, but also with home. What was the first step that you took when you decided to make it happen? I quit my job. (laughs) But you quit before you like had a full plan. You're like, I'm just not doing this anymore. Well, so the whole thing really came to be at the end of 2012. Um, that's when I told my first friend that I had this idea and I wanted to do this and I didn't know where to start, but I like felt like this was such a clear opportunity. I wanted to start in the bedroom. I wanted to start with sheets. You spend the most of your time. It's the most intimate place in bed. And I felt like if, you know, if I could launch with these products, I could build trust and I could build this home brand. And then I became like fully obsessed. There was nothing else I could think about. I was so consumed with this idea. I showed up for work in the new year and was barely working because I was working all, I was trying to research and work on a pitch deck or some sort of, you know, ideation document. Like it was just like, it was all I was doing. I I didn't see any friends. I was working till four in the morning. Like I was in. And so around this time, early February, I decided that I needed to quit my job. I had taken two weeks off to go home back in LA where I'm now based and decided that I had to do this. And in order to do this, I had to be really full-time. In retrospect, I did not need to be full-time. It was way too soon to quit a job, but I did. And then I just dove full in and, you know, maybe it all worked out for the best. (laughs) (laughs) Where did the name come from? Parachute is inspired by the movement of your sheets when you make your bed and they billow down. But so, yeah, I quit my job and I went to Europe and visited 15 factories and saw how sheets were made, like became even more inspired and even more just certain that this was an idea that needed to come to life. And you did it. You made it happen. Did you bootstrap your business when you first launched or did you know you had to raise capital? I did and I didn't. I put every dollar that I had into the business and to going to these factories and all of that. I borrowed a little money from my parents, very little amount that I paid back almost immediately. But in my mind, because, and I think this was just also, it was such a, everyone was raising money and everyone was raising money seemingly easily because that's the idealized version you see. And so in my head, I was like, all right, this is a great idea. I know this is a great idea. It makes sense. It checks all the boxes. You know, I can sell this idea And so I'll just go raise capital. I'll be able to pay myself salary. It'll just like all work out. And so after this trip to Europe, I came back and I tried to raise capital and became very clear that I was not going to be able to raise capital. You know, I met with probably 50 people and everyone was like, this is a great idea. We'd love to see more progress. And I'd be like, okay, in order to get more progress, I need capital. Like these are expensive products. I need to build the website. Like this is not going to be like, I don't have the capital for this. And so it was really frustrating. I ended up raising about $20,000 from one friend and his friends who were all angel investors. And then I joined an accelerator program and that gave me the first kind of larger check for a lot of equity in return. But I was able to buy my first batch of inventory, bring it back, 
and get the business up and running. It was like they gave me that check and I just like sent it away the next day, all of it. But it was enough to buy product and to get the business up. So, I mean, I wouldn't change anything about that process. Looking back now at all you know from being in this business for the past 12 plus years, in those early days, I knew you just shared like maybe you wouldn't have done anything differently, but what do you know now that you didn't know then that you wish you knew that you would share with someone who is in the position you were in when you were just starting out, realizing that you need to raise capital, maybe the VC route isn't the way to go when you're first launching? What what would you tell them to do? Well, I would say today there's so many alternative forms of capital and that VCs aren't the only option. And so, but that was really what, that was all I knew. That was all I thought was possible. And so I didn't see any other path. I think the one of the biggest things for me that was surprising was that being an entrepreneur was really lonely. I was a sole founder. I had so many highs and lows. I mean, it was crazy. You know, there would be days where I was like, I'm on top of the world. I'd have a good meeting. And then 20 minutes later, I'd get an email of rejection. And it was just like, my head was constantly spinning. And I really had to work through a lot of like big feelings in that time. And that continued on. But, you know, it was just like, it was... It was surprising just like how you feel like you're, you know, stranded on an island and that no one understands. And I had friends be like, so what do you even do every day? And I'd be like, what do you mean? What do I do every day? I do everything every day. Like, so that was a big takeaway. And then also I just think like things just take longer than you thought. Like in my head, my timeline, you know, my first deck that I I wrote about this business is very much what I've done. I like, it's like almost incredible. Like it's incredible that we've stayed so true to this business and this idea and the vision and the path. But what is comically wrong is the timeline of everything. I mean, everything just takes longer. And when you're so consumed with an idea and it's so hard to be patient, you know, it's like you just want to go, go, go. You want things to happen. You want to be able to raise capital. You want to hire a team. You want, and, and none of that manifested in the way that I had thought it would with such certainty. So I think that honestly has been my biggest challenge too in building businesses. It's like we have these visions and we just want to like go, go, go and get all of this stuff done as fast as possible. But the reality is all of these things take so much time. You have to bring on a team. You have to train people. Processes just everything takes longer than expected. And learning to just be okay with a little bit of patience as a business owner, it's really hard when you're like the builder and you just want everything to happen. So. I'm with you on that. Yeah, the other thing I think is just like founders are so almost like across the board, they're all so type A and perfectionists and have such high standards. And I had to like really, really, really find balance there. Like it was just, it could not be about perfection. And it took me a long time to really come to terms with that, like progress over perfection. Yep. Done is better than perfect. I know. Exactly. Learn while you go. Don't like hold yourself back. I mean, I realized I was like becoming my own worst enemy by being such a type A control freak. <laughs> did you realize this yourself or did you have other people like point this out to you or work with a business coach? Like when did it like hit you? Like, I just need to breathe and what's meant to come will come. <laughs> I would say that early on and partially because of this accelerator program, I was introduced to many people that were mentors or experts in their fields, investors, like it really opened up the door for me. And that was the design of the program. You know, it was like they had these 12 founders and every day you'd like have these rapid fire pitches with different people. And 
people were asking critical questions and and really sharing their wisdom and insights. So I think it was probably a mix of both. I think it probably some of these things are really hard to hear in those early days, and so I think probably it took some repetition there, and it, it also took some like real self awareness. But I think also another thing that I learned, and and it was definitely part of that process, was just like asking for questions and asking for help is a superpower. Like you have to get help and and building a community. And I also was so blown away by how generous people were with their time and how willing they were to help. And so it was really hard for me to ask for help in the beginning. And I so I think it was a combination of just opening up myself for feedback and also really listening and realizing I had so much to learn from these people who were ahead of me. And that could be a year ahead of me. That could be 20 years ahead of me. You know, it was like you almost learn more from people that are just ahead of you because they can really relate to where you are. But And remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and remember, you know, because, yeah, you do block a lot of stuff out. Yes. I know, because sometimes I think back to like with building entrepreneurs now, it's, you know, like starting a startup again. We started Social Fly Templates years ago. So it's like trying to remember everything from when we first started is a lot harder than like remembering the things that happened a month ago or a year ago. Because I always say you have like entrepreneurista amnesia because <laughs> so many things happen. And it's also just hard to remember, like, as you were saying, like every day, it's like you these high highs can have these low lows, like within the course of 15 minutes or an hour. And it, your brain becomes very, uh, very full. (laughs) It's a lot. Tell me about the day that you launched the site and you were finally live. Yeah. So it was a little over nine years ago, January 16th, 2014. I earlier in my career before advertising, I'd worked in PR And I actually really believed in the power of PR. I found an agency in LA and in New York um, that was willing to, you know, really take, they believed in it too. And they were really to take me on for a much more discounted rate for three months. And then assuming the business continued to grow, you know, their fees would be kind of accelerated. But I knew that that launch moment is like, is such a moment and people love to cover it. People are excited about it. And because I had no marketing spend or marketing budget, I really needed to like make this moment as big as possible. So launched with some incredible press and that press caught the attention of other outlets and created more press. And all of a sudden, you know, in those first two weeks, we went from selling the site had been up for a few weeks and we had a pre-sale site too. And, you know, in those early days, you could kind of, it was like six degrees of separation. You could kind of like be like, okay, that person lives here. That means they probably know this, but, you know, it was like very easy to look at the orders and say, I can probably figure out how all these people got to me. And so we launched and all of a sudden it was like three orders a day. And then it was like 20 orders a day and then 30 orders a day. And it just like built so fast. I mean, still small numbers, but huge for me at that time. And all of a sudden I realized that like none of those people I I knew they were from places I'd never been and areas I don't have friends or family. You know, it was just like these people found us through this press and it was so exciting. I mean, it was, it was wild. I was still working in this accelerator program and, you know, I went from like packing one box a day to all of a sudden UPS coming and there was just like 10 by 10, you know, huge wall of boxes coming out. And everyone was just like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. It's happening. But it was great. And, you know, about two months in, I was able to make my first hire, which was also very excited with they were willing to defer payment for. I mean, I really had no money. And 
yeah, I think once bringing on another person, getting that launch out the door, like seeing so quickly there was product market fit, like people were really excited about it. I mean, all the feedback we got was I've been looking for this. Like, why hasn't this existed before? And and we were first to market. I mean, we launched a very, I mean, there were no other competitors for at least a few months and they came. But you know, it was it was clear that we were onto something. And people got it. So, and it was also nice. I mean, I launched in 2014. There was already this like D to C mentality. Um, I didn't have to explain to people like the value proposition, you know, cutting out the middleman, like working directly with factories. People just got that, which I think was also helpful. Like I definitely benefited from the education that our customers got from, you know, the Warby Parker and Everlane and all those brands that came before. So Perfect timing, product market fit, and you were off to the races. (laughs) Timing is certainly a huge part of it. I mean, when people ask me like about my suggestions or what I, how I would launch a business today, I'm like, I have no idea. The landscape is so different. You know, I mean, people launch on Instagram, people launch on TikTok, people launch on all these other platforms that didn't exist when I was, I mean, Instagram was nothing compared to what it is today when I launched the marketing landscape is so different. I mean, all of it. It's just, it's a totally different time. Up next, you'll hear more about Parachute's marketing strategy. How have you stayed up to date with all of the marketing trends and determining, you know, when to shift or pivot marketing strategies based on all of the changes that have happened over the past 10 years? One of the things I actually felt like I learned from the past and from advertising and just seeing the way that brands allocated spend, especially big ones, was that I knew we couldn't ever be dependent on one channel. And I think we learned that early. So our when we finally had a budget to start marketing about a year and a half after launch, you know, of course, we like saturated ourselves in Facebook like everyone was. And, you know, we started to like really spend in SEO. But I knew that we couldn't ever be dependent. Like we couldn't have all of our revenue coming from one or two channels. And so we were very early to the podcast sponsorships. We were very early to catalogs. We were very early to influencer and like finding affiliate partnerships. And that has really paid off for us in a tremendous way. It was such a great way to learn about how things are done and and test into new channels and you know, today we've got an incredible team that is, you know, has a finger on the pulse, but we benefited a lot from not being stuck on, you know, when iOS changes happen and everyone like freaks out and there's, it really impacts businesses. Like we never felt that because we were never too saturated in that one channel. Very smart. Very, very smart because yes, that really hurt a lot of businesses two years ago when all of those changes happened. And if you like just built on Facebook and Instagram and were relying on that for all your customers, you were in you were in big trouble. So a lot of people were in trouble, you know, and I had a lot of friends reach out being like, How are you managing this? And I was like, honestly, it's not affecting us because we don't depend on it in the way that, you know, so many people do. You mentioned podcasts and affiliates and influencers. Are those mediums still working for the business, driving sales and brand awareness, new customers? So when we first got into podcasts, it was very early days and we tried a lot of different types of podcasts. You know, we tried different types of categories, comedy, you know, political, 
conversations, you know, design and home conversations. We learned a lot in the early days. You know, we like realized very quickly that our ads when read by the host and really integrated into the show and, you know, being able to send our products to hosts so they could use them and really speak about their personal experience, like had a tremendous ROAS compared to those kind of like, you know, press a button, here's your ad and just feels disconnected. So that was a big learning for us early on. But we also found that podcasts were like, it kind of hit or miss, like, you know, like some of them, it, it really had nothing to do about the category. You know, some people, it's just like about listenership and people's, the fan base, you know, like if people are just like stopping by to listen to one podcast or people that are like really invested and are tuning in every day or every time there's a new episode, you know, you just see a different type of reaction. So we also learned that, you know, you can't just like, it's not a one and done. You have to have consistency. So yes, they all kind of operate a little bit differently, but they all are still part of our assortment and our mix. People have to hear the same message and see the same message over and over, over again across all different mediums and platforms. It's like hear it on a podcast and then you see it on social and then it starts following you around on websites. And it's like, oh yes, I need to buy that now. So yeah, we don't really offer discount codes on these things. So it's a different type of relationship you have to build with the customer. You know, so many people are like, here's 20% off or 30% off. And we've been really deliberate in where we've discounted. We have two big sales a year. Um, and we've really like stuck to that as a framework for how we want to be in how do you track? So like if you're running podcast ads or even other ads, I, I guess, I mean, on Facebook and Instagram, you can track with obviously UTMs, but like on a podcast, on this podcast, if someone was listening to this podcast and now heard you, heard about Parachute, they're like, oh, I want to try it. Would you know that they came from here? Um, I mean, we do post-purchase surveys. So, you know, we hope that people share. Obviously, it's a small percentage of people that actually respond to those. But we tried to like include links and, you know, that were trackable and, um, but it's, it's harder. It's different. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time for a few years investing in out of home and, you know, it's really hard. You know, you can look at lift within a demographic or a city or like zip codes, um, and hope that that's, you know, good enough. But I mean, you know, we've had to build our own attribution models and think about attribution in a different way because we don't rely on codes. It's just, you know, it's a different process for us. Totally. Tell me how your role as a founder has evolved over the years. I'm sure in the early days you were doing absolutely everything. And hopefully now today, I know you have a big team that is managing a lot of the business. What do you focus on day to day now? And what has that evolution been like over the years as you've been building the business? So today I, I really focus on the brand. I focus on the product and I work with our chief creative officer and our creative director and, and VP of brand to really think about how we tell our story. That's really my background is storytelling. And I have such an intuitive sense of about what our customers want to see and, and how we can continue to elevate and evolve the brand in a way that I think has been really effective. But there were years that I, I didn't have bandwidth for that. I was spending my time, you know, raising capital or managing our board or really being on the front lines in a way that took me away from the business for like months at a time. And so I still do some of that, of course. And I love being the face of the brand and speaking and traveling and visiting our stores. And But I really have tried to shift my focused to kind of where I started at the beginning, you know, which was all about building a brand. And so it's been fun nine years and really 10 years since I started 
to kind of make a full circle back to my creative brain. But, you know, that's, that is because I have a team and, you know, I've got incredible executive team. We've got incredible folks across the organization. Our department leaders are amazing. I mean, it's just like we are set up that I can, I can step away. And, and then that was a, I mean, a huge milestone, you know, when I realized that I could take two weeks to go on a fundraising trip and be in multiple cities and really like had to disconnect from the day to day and the day to day continued to the operate. business still and runs really, without yeah. you. That's the best accomplishment, right? Totally. And I also think it's so important. I think, you know, that was a big lesson also for the, like, I refused to take a day off in the first two years. Like I was, you know, I missed weddings. I missed friends, birthdays. I missed so many things. And when I finally got comfortable stepping away, I realized just like how much positive, I mean, it was like good for me. I needed it, but I also, I, my team needed it to step up and to really have autonomy and to, take on more ownership and grow. So it's important to delegate and let go and allow people that are hopefully smarter than you and more talented in these respective areas of the business, take the reins. That is the goal. I always say find people that are smarter, more talented, no more in specific areas. That's how to build a, a booming business. I would love to hear any tips you can share about hiring these amazing, talented individuals who work with you now. Any tips you can share about how to find great talent, interview questions that you ask? Yeah. I mean, I think my job usually when I'm interviewing is really to you know help sell the business and tell the vision and share the dream. I think the benefit, and this is sort of, I mean, I don't think it's only a benefit for brands, but I do think there's a benefit for brands where people are, as you get bigger, people are actually fans of the brands, their customers, they really love what you're doing. And so they have this understanding and excitement around the product and what we're building, like they really care about it. And so that has been a great way to just also bring good people in organically. People just want to work for the brand. We often hear that people want to work for the brand. They come for the brand and they stay for the people, which is wonderful. I mean, it makes me want to cry every time I hear that. It just like warms my heart. But, you know, I think I'm really looking for character. You know, I'm looking for people that are kind, that people that like love to collaborate, people that are inquisitive and curious and, you know, solution oriented and like solving problems. You know, people that don't expect problems to be solved for them, people that are willing to ask for help that are, you know, don't see that as a as a downside in, in character. And I also just like to know what people are excited about that has nothing to do about work. You know, I, I try to balance my interview questions around kind of more specific job functions and also just like, who are you as a person? And what are the things that get you excited? And where do you want to be in your career? And, you know, what's the end goal? Like, I think it's really important to know why people are joining the team today and where they want to be. So you can make sure that's also aligned with the potential trajectory within your business. You know, I think it, for me, it's really important that everyone feels like they have upward momentum and can learn and grow within their role. Always. I think people just get bored and want to leave otherwise. So I don't know. I mean, we've definitely relied on recruiters for some role. We also have an in-house recruiter who is amazing and is able to take on a lot of, you know, hiring and, and recruiting functions. So 
Yeah, no, that's super helpful to hear. A lot of the founders that are part of our Entrepreneurially community are either currently in the process of thinking about raising capital or in the process of raising capital right now. I would love if you could share more about your fundraising journey and how that went and learning lessons that you could share based on your experience. I mean, I have so many. We could do an entire podcast about that. I mean, I have never had an easy time raising money. So the stories that you hear about people that have five-term sheets and our people are begging to invest, like, congratulations, but that has not been my story. And that's not the story that you often hear. I think one of the big ahas for me in the early days was realizing that people aren't actually meeting with you because they want to invest. They're trying to figure out why not. And shifting my my mentality around, okay, what are the questions? Where are they going to poke holes? How do I just start with that so that I'm able to provide the right information to the right people, really learning about what investors personally care about, I found has been helpful. But you know, I've experienced it all. You know, I've experienced the ghosting. I've experienced the too soon. I've experienced every bit of feedback possible. And it's hard. I I think at the end of the day, you need to find someone that you really like that cares about you and the brand and also is aligned with your journey because bringing on an investor that's going to try to shake things up in a way that you are unaligned with is, is really, really problematic. And I feel very grateful that we have not had that experience, but I know people who have. I would just say that on average, every time I've raised capital, I've had to talk take about 100 meetings. There are days where I'm doing five a day. Many of those meetings, I wouldn't say many, probably a subset of maybe a quarter of those meetings get to like four meetings or five meetings. As I've gotten further along in this process, I've realized that I can also say no if it doesn't feel right, that I can also say, we don't have that information off the shelf and it's actually too much work. So let's figure out another way that we can communicate this to you because it's just not, it's too much work for my team. I think in the early days I was intimidated and I was, I don't know, it was just so much rejection. And I was really, there were many times where it was, I was raising money in like a make or break moment where we were, we could have run out of capital. Like it was urgent. I think you also really want to try to avoid that. <laughs> Very obvious, but you know, raising at a place from strength and opportunity and, you know, is just always better and it was hard for me to get there. What was it what was it like when you finally got that first yes and that first term sheet? Oh my god, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in Austin, it was during South by Southwest. I was in my hotel room or actually in my friend's hotel room. I was sitting on the bed. I like heard yes and like I mean, had to hold back tears. I mean, it was it was crazy because what I had also heard from about six other investors was if they come in, I'll come in. Mm-hmm. And so I knew with that, like this deal was going to get done and we were going to close around. But also hearing that from so many people, if they do it, we'll do it. It's just like frustrating, you know? It's, it's so like, frustrating. How do, so how did you, the investor and feel, if you want to share the name, feel free to, it's totally up to you. But if like, how did you position it to them where like to get them to lead the round? Tell me that whole process, because I think this is very common. And I hear this from a lot of founders that are raising right now, you know, investors will say, you know, keep me posted on how the round is shaping out. And it's like, okay, great. If we have all these people that are interested, there's warm interest there, but we need to get that lead. Like, do you directly ask someone to lead yeah, the round? Well, people are- pretty forthcoming about that information. There are a lot of people that are like, we don't lead. And you're like, okay, great. Well then let's not talk for another three months. Cause like, I don't need to spin wheels and try to get you on board when I know that just having someone else on board will like close the deal for you. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you're like looking to prioritize conversations with people who do lead. For me, I was looking for a fund. Um, my first lead investor was Upfront Ventures, and they're still a super supportive and have been great partners on this journey. I really looked for a consumer fund. I also, for me, and this is, I don't think the only way to do it. I actually really, I was a sole founder then. I didn't have a team and I really, really, really wanted investors that were in LA. I lived in LA. I wanted to be able to show up at their door and say, I need help. I wanted FaceTime. I wanted to not have to get on a plane and travel across the country to have an in-person meeting. I really felt like if I could focus on LA-based investors, I could get a lot of leverage from them. And in my mind, you know, I was like, if you're investing in me, you kind of work for me too. Like, this is a mutual relationship. Like, I'm trying to create value for you, but also like, I need help in creating that value. And there's a lot that I don't know. And, but it was really all about the dream. I mean, investors are investing in you at that stage. You know, at the seed stage, it's so much less about the product. I mean, we had had this early momentum which was great. But, you know, they were looking for someone who was a visionary and someone who they believed in and was, they believed was the right person to do this job because, you know, you're not going to be the only one in the space, you know, and and there's going to be winners or losers. So you want to make sure that they're set up and feel confident and are willing to go. I mean, it's a tough journey. You know, you need people that are doing it. So I had to get out of my own way. You know, I think my my go-to kind of demeanor is like, and this was feedback I did hear um, while I was in the accelerator, like it's just really kind of chill and I'm like kind of a low-key person. And I got a lot of feedback from people that I met with. They were like, is she really passionate about this? And I was like, what? Like, is that really your question? Like, I'm like exploding inside. Like, I'm so passionate about this. Like, I will move mountains to make this happen. So I realized that like, in order for me to be successful, like I had to, like, I had to throw it all. I mean, I had to be bigger about my passion and really, really, really show that I was crazy about this idea and nothing was going to stop me. And I think once I also like was able to internalize that and, and make that authentic for me, conversations started going a lot better. That's so interesting. Well, speaking of crazy things, what is the craziest thing that has ever happened to you in business over the past 10 years? I don't know, opening our like first retail stores. I mean, that's been like such a exciting, like, ma- like seeing the brand come to life. You know, we've also, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of crazy things, good and bad, you know, we've had really surprising behavior from, you know, they're just like all sorts of things. I think as long as you navigate through the crazy times with integrity and authenticity, like you can get through it, you know, and, and keep in, like just being thoughtful and how you treat others and how they treat you is probably the most important thing. You know, it's like, you can always know that you are doing it the right way. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Coming up, why storytelling is critical to parachute success. All right. This is my favorite segment. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Describe yourself in three words. Authentic, funny, and thoughtful. What is your favorite business tool or solution that you've used over the years that you're obsessed with and you can't live without? I mean, Gmail. 
I'm with you. The Google Suite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Google Suite's pretty great. You know, there's Slack notion. Like that we've we embrace the technology. <laughs> totally. Do you have a hidden talent? I love to sing. I was a classically trained singer through my childhood and in college, and I love karaoke. We'll have to hang out one day. I'm a <laughs> musical theater karaoke girl, too. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, we, we speak the same language. And final question, very important, coffee or tea? That's a good question. I've actually been switching over to matcha most days, but I'm, I'm still like certainly a coffee girl. Totally. All right. Back to our regular questions now. I know that you also have a family and little ones and you're managing this booming business. Any advice you can share for the mama pernistas out there that are trying to build businesses, families, and manage it all? If someone asks you the question about how do you have balance, just like don't answer. It's a, it's not worth it. It's not real. And also I've like completely just eliminated the thought of like guilt around anything. Like I am so proud that my kids know that I work hard and sometimes they come on set and model for us and, you know, they, we go visit the stores and they know that they sleep with parachute every night. You know, to me, like I had working parents, they still work. You know, I, I love working. Like I love that my kids see my passion and I, they understand when I have to work late and they understand when I have to do a work dinner and they understand when I can't do bedtime and they get it. And I think it's really healthy all around. I mean, I, this is what fills my cup as do my four-year-old and two-year-old. <laughs> I was going to ask you how old they are. I have a three and a half year old. So, so oh, right nice. there with you. It's, it's the yeah. best. And this is like a crazy age, by the way, four and two are like, there is so much going on and there's a lot of highs and lows there too, which, but you got to just have fun with it. and find a way to laugh through the day. Absolutely. Do you have a mantra or quote that you live your life by? So my mantra, the best advice I got when I had first had my daughter was that everything is just for now. And I actually think it's like really applied to work as well. You know, there's always going to be hard days. There's always going to be good days. Both of those things are just for now. So, you know, like for me, it helps me ground in gratitude and appreciating the highs and lows. And, you know, I didn't start a business so that everything would be perfect all the time. Like I'd love to solve problems. I love to figure out how I can be a better mother to my kids, how I can solve their problem. You know, I, I, it's all good. Like it, it's a really, like it help, has helped me kind of have a go with the flow mentality and not get too fixated on the minutia know that there is a path forward at all times. Absolutely. Totally agree. And speaking of paths forward, what are you most excited about coming up this year in 2023? Any new things on the horizon? Yeah, we always have newness scattered throughout the year. This year is particularly fun because we're really focusing actually on our bed and bath again, which is our bread and butter. But we've been spending a lot of time in recent years focusing on category expansions and new things. And it feels really good and exciting to like get back to our core in many ways. So we'll have new fabrications, new colors. We will have newness in other categories too. But yeah, we're we're really thinking about how to to focus on what we do best. We've got some really exciting store openings this year. We opened 13 last year, which was more than we've ever opened. Are you in Florida? We're not in Florida. Not yet. We would like to be. We opened our 24th store last week or maybe the week before. 
We've got our 25th opening that was in Boston and our 25th opening in Studio City in LA, which will be our fourth store in LA, which is exciting beginning of, or next week, I guess. Yeah. So there's a lot more stores hoping to be near all of you. (laughs) Yay. Well, I'm a New York transplant in Florida now, but now we're, we're not leaving here. So uh, let me know when uh, you're opening down here, if you want any recommendations of where to open. I'm in Palm Beach Garden. So I'll... (laughs) We have another store opening in May in New York. It'll be our third New York store in the Flatiron, which I'm very excited about. A big flagship there. So if you go back. Yes, yes, yes. That is amazing. Well, final question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it's a real ability to bring something to life. I don't know. I mean, I I think it's you become the soul of what you create and growing alongside the company, building the company, working alongside people. I don't know. I think it's just, it's about growth for me in all the ways. Well, I love that. And I can't wait to continue to follow you and the business and see all the incredible things that you're going to do this year and beyond. Where can everyone find you, follow you for those that are new to Parachute and want to go purchase your sheets and products and everything you have? Where should they head over to? Parachutehome.com, Parachute Home on social media, Instagram, TikTok. We dabble in Twitter, dabble in, but Instagram is really the most inspiring place to connect with us. And of course, on the site. And I am RELK all over the web and would love to have you follow me. I always am so excited about feedback. I get lots of DMs about ideas and where we can improve and I'm always grateful for the good and the bad and the constructive and all of it. So follow me, get a glimpse of my life if you'd like, and also send me feedback and notes and tell me what you think about the product. Yes, I love that. Well, we'll link out to all of your handles and all of the parachute handles in the show notes as well. And thank you again so much for being here and congrats on everything you've accomplished. It is so, so amazing and loved hearing your story. And I know thank you. it was great talking to you. Listeners are going to have learned so much today. So thank you again. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.